Cozy Nook Explorers. I'm Jackie. And I'm John. And we are the Cozy Nook Explorers. Welcome to our show, where we explore the world from our cozy nook here in quarantine using the power of the internet. Yes, and it's Wednesday, which means it's time for another exploration. And like you said, we are in quarantine in California for the next couple of weeks because we just flew across the country. So one step of our California move is done. Can you believe we finally made it? I can believe it. Because I'm here. (laughs) I just can't. There are palm trees and there is no humidity and every day is perfect weather. Charles is here too, which is so great because we obviously need our trusty producer. We aren't exactly sure how many episodes we will be recording over the next few weeks in our cozy quarantine nook, (laughs) but we will keep you posted as we go. Although we will technically be out of quarantine when this episode comes out, because we are recording in mid-July, and it will come out at the end of the month. Time travel! That's so cool. Speaking of time travel, this week we are going to be traveling back in time to the ancient city of Angkor in Cambodia. I have to say I knew nothing about Angkor before we began researching, and this quickly became one of my favorite places, if not my favorite place we've visited so far. All I can say is, wow. John, this episode was your idea. How did you learn about Anchor? I remember an image of it in National Geographic a long time ago. I also remember it from the movie Tomb Raider with Hmm. Angelina Jolie, (laughs) uh, which uh, is very much not the best movie, but going back and looking at the scenes that take place in Anchor... Uh, It's understandable why the location stayed with me. Hmm, it's funny what stays in your mind. Sometimes it is amazing. Yes, and speaking of amazing, we got a couple of really great Ask Charles questions from our listener, Liana. Our producer, Charles, is the Banksy of podcast producers and a man of mystery, but he agreed to answer one question this episode. Liana's question is, Charles, what is your favorite cozy food and drink? And And his answer (laughs) is holiday cookies, preferably ginger snaps. uh, And sorry, ginger snaps and cereal milk, preferably from Lucky Charms. Mmm, delicious. Speaking of cozy, John, what is keeping you cozy this week? What's keeping me cozy this week is bubble wrap therapy. It is taking out a package of bubble wrap and popping the bubbles individually to give yourself a sense of self-satisfaction unheard of before. Mm, Interesting. Now, do you prefer the big bubbles or the little bubbles? Neither. I prefer bubbles that are the exact size of my thumb, so I get that extra satisfying feeling of, oh, this feels right. Interesting. And Do you secretly hope that there is bubble wrap in every online order that you receive? I do, and I have been guilty of ordering myself just bubble wrap in the the mail, and sometimes that bubble wrap is encased in bubble wrap. Ooh, that sounds like a big win in terms of bubble wrap. Yes, and Jackie, what's keeping you cozy? 
Yeah, so what is keeping me cozy this week is fresh lettuce from the garden. So while we were in New Jersey, we had a chance to see lettuce grow, and it was really neat. It was in a raised bed garden, and when the lettuce was planted, it was just little itty-bitty leaves, but then over time, it just became so much lettuce, it was almost like too much lettuce. Well, not quite too much, but still. It was a lot of lettuce, and it was really cool, really cozy, lots of fresh, cozy salads. Do you have a favorite type of lettuce? Crispy, crispy romaine, 110%. I know the darker the leaf, the more nutrients, but look, it's lettuce. I'm eating lettuce. Just let me eat romaine. It's (laughs) so good. (laughs) All right, And, and what is your favorite use for lettuce? So, of course, I love a good salad, but I also like wrapping a burger in it instead of a bun. That's always really enjoyable. I will have to say, though, people who do that and then pick up the burger and eat it like a burger, I don't understand how they do that. I have to cut it with a fork and knife, but I find it to be very delicious, especially with tomato and onion and avocado and like a sauce. It's just it's just great. Nice. All right, shall we uh, start our exploration of Cambodia? Yeah, sounds great. All right, let's go. I want to start off by saying that the volume of information on Anchor Cambodia is staggering. I feel like we have just cracked the surface on this one. You know, I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, but there are also just so many fascinating theories and myths to go along with the facts about this place. We should start by saying that there is a difference between Angkor and Angkor Wat. Uh, Angkor is a massive ancient city. Angkor Wat is a structure within the city that is very prominent and well-known. I think it's the most popular part of the city. It has been so much fun researching Angkor, but it feels impossible to know where to start. If I had to choose, I'm thinking we need to start by going back in time, like super duper far back. Like dinosaurs back in time? (laughs) Because we can talk about how the stones were formed. Okay, not that far, or else this episode would be three hours long, but still really far. 802 AD, possibly the first... Furthest back, ooh, adventure jar. Possibly the furthest back we've gone on the show yet. I think we should start by talking about Anchor as a whole and then go into details about Anchor Wat and the people who lived there. Sounds good. You know, see, there are just so many layers to this. <sighs> okay, so let's start with the city of Anchor before this whole podcast is just us deciding where to start the show. Anchor Cambodia also known as Who's On First Part 2. Anchor. What? Anchor. Anchor what? Anchor. Anchor what? (laughs) (laughs) All (laughs) righty. So the ancient city of Anchor was believed to be 900 hectares, which is about 4.45 Disneyland's. It's also believed that Anchor was once the largest city in the world, with a population that could have possibly been as large as one million people. To give some perspective, London's population at this time in history was about 30,000 people. Anchor was larger and more advanced than any European city during the same time period. 
Like all early civilizations, having a river that floods and recedes is essential for agriculture because it creates automatic fertile land. Anchor is on the west bank of the Siam Reap River. I'm nowhere near pronouncing that correctly. Um, <laughs> it's um, S-I-E-M-R-E-A-P, in case you want to look it up. Uh, they were able to harness the water from the river uh, to water rice fields and build intricate canal systems throughout the city, and this allowed them to thrive. Uh, we're talking like on the same level of Venice here. Uh, also, they were able to eat the fish in the river. Without the Syme Reap River and the innovative and advanced infrastructure system that was put into place, Anchor could have never existed. Everyone had access to water, including little ponds behind their homes. Doesn't that sound so delightful? They all have little ponds. It does. Uh, in my mind, the canal is like a lazy river running throughout the entire city, and everyone had their own um, inner tube. Well, not quite, not quite an inner tube, but um, I don't, I don't know, think it... that's how quite it was. But like, yeah, some some sort of flotation device. Oh well, that would be awesome. Lazy rivers are the coziest of all water rides. Did you see the thing about NASA? I did. Oh, this is so neat. So a big issue that archaeologists face while trying to study Anchor is that the area is overgrown with jungle because it was left abandoned for so many years. This has made it challenging to know how the infrastructure worked and how many temples there were. In 1994, archaeologists teamed up with NASA to gain a better understanding of the area. NASA was able to use radar detection to see through the vegetation uh, while they were in space. When they were flying over Anchor in space, they scanned the area and were able to give archaeologists photos where they could see outlines of additional temples along with the roads and the canals. They were able to confirm that the ancient city was 100 kilometers long and 10 kilometers wide. Okay, which one is it, John? Both. It can be pronounced both ways. That's very diplomatic of you. <laughs> anyway, by using the NASA scans from the 90s, archaeologists today are able to pinpoint areas to study, and they are also able to give us a better understanding of how the city worked. Another reason to say yay to outer space. I think we need to talk about who lived in Anchor. Should we talk about the Chimer Empire? Now, let me spell that. That's K-H-M-E-R. I'm just going to do that, too. I think it's Chimer, yeah. Oh, um, all right. Well, yes. I'm owning it. <laughs> let's, let's go to the top of that society with the concept of the God Kings. So from what I can see, the God Kings were similar to the pharaohs in Egypt, but instead of being a connection from the people to the gods, the kings of Anchor were viewed as... As gods, they built themselves massive temples. Uh, Syria Varman the second was the king who created Angkor Wat, which is an indescribable and insanely epic temple complex. I've never seen something so amazing. We have to put a link to a photo in the show notes. Um, Angkor Wat is the largest stone temple in the world. It was originally constructed as a Hindu temple and was meant to house the remains of the king, and that king was 
Syria Varman. Uh, it took 30 years to build, and Syria Varman was a also a relief sculpture of himself looking pretty epic. What is a relief sculpture? Uh, it's when you have a wall, then you take away portions of that wall till you have a sculpture. So it goes inward, not outward. Bingo. Hmm. Um, so I, I have definitely read a number of expert opinions talking about the God King theory. I'm just not certain about it. I think there's a lot of logic to the God King archaeological theory. You know, how do you get that many people to comply with the epic amounts of manual labor needed to create this massive temple complex and harvest that much food? You would have to believe that the person you are creating this for is a god. I should also note that even though some people chose to be part of the creation of Anchor, slaves were also forced to build much of the city, which is a very sad piece of their history, history and important to remember. Uh, yes, very troubling. Um, but I'm also not sold on the idea of the God King because Angkor Wat was ultimately a temple to the Hindu god Vishnu. I think maybe Surya Varman was just trying to intertwine his story with Vishnu so he could have more legitimacy after taking the throne by force. I don't know. I have seen the statues and I have seen the sculptures. Doesn't it look like this guy wanted you to think he was a god? Well, I think you win this round. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Let's move on. What did you think of your virtual tours? I loved them. Uh, the consensus for traveling is to wear comfortable shoes because you will be on your feet all day. And keep in mind, you will be in the sun all day. Yes. And remember that this is a religious temple, so you have to wear long pants and shirts to cover your shoulders. If you wear a skirt or tank top, they will tell you that you have to go home and change. So just make sure to check that out before you would head there. A number of people I saw suggested going in April because it's the hottest month of the year and there are no crowds as a result. How hot are we talking? 40 degrees. Well, no, that can't be true. 40 degrees Celsius, and that's 104 degrees Fahrenheit. That sounds more accurate, and it also sounds like I will not be going in April. You not trade heat for no crowds? No, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Another thing uh, is that there are no guardrails on the moat, and uh, some people fall in if they get too close. Oh, that beautiful square moat. Yes, the, the miracle that is that perfectly square moat. Um, we will uh, get back to the moat after a word from our sponsor. Sounds good. This podcast is brought to you by Fresh Lettuce from the Garden. Want lettuce but don't want to go to the store? Start a garden. Sure, it'll take a bit for the lettuce to grow, but once it does, you can make a salad. So, yes, you'd need to go to the store until the lettuce grows, and you'd also need to go to the store for the salad toppings, and I guess you would need to get your gardening supplies there, too, but you don't need to buy the lettuce at the store because it's in your garden eventually. So go to the store and get growing today. So back to the moat. It is so pretty and so square. If you are going to build something that is meant to keep out invaders, make sure it is aesthetically pleasing. I never thought of rain as an invader, but I guess I could come around to that way of thinking. 
All right, so explain. Well, Angkor Wat sits right on top of a pretty significant water table. And that water table fluctuates rapidly due to a monsoon season and a dry season. When the water table fluctuates, that warps the land and the foundation under the table. Or the temple. <laughs> the table under the temple. Uh, this would have destroyed the temple very quickly if there were no other preventative measures that were built. So the moat acts as a way of keeping the water table stable. Exactly. Oh, the water table stable. I like the way that sounds. It's like a cute little horse barn. It's not only sounds cute. It is the thing that has kept the building standing for centuries. Not to mention all the statues inside. There are dozens and dozens of statues that are carved into the stone walls themselves. They are so intricate and beautiful. I really like the statues of the smiling faces, uh, <laughs> although those statues are in uh, Bayun, and that is in Angkor Wat Archaeological Park. They are the most cozy, happy statues I've ever seen. I can't think of a single smiling statue from ancient Roma Greece. It must have been insanely hard to hold that smiling pose for so long. But the fact that you have such a thing as a smiling statue, and it seems so foreign, yet induces such a feeling of happiness in me, I, I now wish more statues smiled. I love the lion statues <laughs> that look nothing like lions. Well, I think they have captured the essence of a lion. I would describe it as a lion adjacent. Faux lion. Astro lion. <laughs> um... It looks like some sort of monster, yet of all other things it could be, lion is the best description. It's like someone told an artist what a lion looks like, but never showed them a real lion. Um, maybe that is what happened, because lions are not native to Cambodia, but it's possible that they met someone who traveled to Africa and who told them about lions. Oh, but they are so cute. The lions who are not lions. And speaking of sculptures, I wanted to talk about the churning of the Sea of Milk. Yes, the churning of the Sea of Milk is a relief sculpture, which I know what that is now, and it is carved into a wall. It's a religious story and an instruction manual on how to attain the elixir of life. Yes, the elixir of life is... Like the Hindu version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. Same difference, really. Uh, the instructions would be as follows. First, be a god. Second, stand on a giant turtle. Third, place a mountain on your head. Next, get the turtle into the ocean while you continue to stand on it. How do you do that? After that, wrap a giant snake around your waist. Oh no. And then have all the other gods and demons pull on the snake to spin you around very quickly. This will churn the ocean and the elixir of life will come to the top. The sculpture is so intricate and so beautiful. What I like about the story is that it gives the ocean a property of immortality by acknowledging the ocean is where the mysterious stuff comes from. I just think it's a pretty sculpture, and I like the part about the turtle, and it seems like quite the physical challenge. <laughs> it is beautiful, and I, I have to say that considering the ocean has coral that can live for 1,100 years, it was a pretty good guess the secret of immortality would live in the ocean. 
Speaking of water, did you see that the very same relief sculpture, the churning of the sea milk, is being destroyed by the rain? And a group of people tried to fix it with Western building techniques and only made the problem worse. Yes, they tried to repair the roof by using mortar, which is a building paste that you use to lay down items like bricks. Uh, One thing that is amazing about Angkor Wat is that they built the largest temple in the world and they didn't use mortar uh, at all. They shaped the stones by rubbing them against each other and fitting them flush together. It looks like they had to do it that way in order to deal with all the water from the monsoons. Uh, So now, to protect the churning of the Sea of Milk, they had to repair it without mortar, uh, like they originally did in order to keep the rain out. Thankfully, the sculpture was saved and the work of the Keimer can continue to be seen today. I think one big question that we have yet to address is why uh, was this amazing uh, achievement in architecture abandoned by the Khmer and taken over as a Buddhist monastery? I can answer that. So researchers have now shown that intense monsoon rains that followed a prolonged drought in the region caused widespread damage to the city's infrastructure, leading to its collapse. So basically climate change, it's not a new thing. Also, the deforestation necessary to create all of the rice fields to feed everyone caused environmental havoc in the area. So deforestation, um, destroying land and an area, also not a new thing. There were also some wars and battles, and by the time all was said and done, it was just not a good place to live anymore. The Khmer weren't destroyed or totally wiped out. They actually just moved to an area where they could start over and create a viable living situation again. And the jungle reclaimed so much of the city and the temples. Until a French guy came along and pretended that he discovered it in 1860, even though there were Buddhist monks there the whole time. (laughs) Do you have anything else, John? Uh, Oh, Jackie, uh, we did not even talk about Angkor Tomb. Yes, it was the last capital city of the Khmer Empire, and it was featured in the Laura Croft Tomb Raider movie that you mentioned in the beginning of the episode. It has a cool tree that seems to grow impossibly into the stones. Yes. Do you have anything else? The structure of Angkor Wat is on the currency of Cambodia. Um, do you have anything else? I do. So many things. Um, so much of what we know about Anchor during its heyday is from the diaries of Zhu Dao Gan. So Z-H-O-U-D-A-G-U-A-N, who was a Chinese diplomat that spent a good amount of time in Anchor and kept a journal. It's hard to know what's true and what's been embellished because it was his personal log, but he wrote a lot about the customs of Anchor, and it's oddly one of the best resources we have. Anchor's economy was based on international trade, and they sold a lot of goods to China, which is how he ended up there, um, which I thought was wild and very cool. Yeah, Um, he's also super sassy. Yes, it's pretty great. Um, it, yeah, it's make, hard. It's makes, hard to know what's going on yeah, in those journals. Make, makes for a very gossipy read, but yeah, it's uh, he's a he's a little bit of a, a, a sass pants. Um, <laughs> Anything else, John? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a World Heritage site. Um, do you have anything else? Yeah, we'll be back with our community <laughs> shout out after a quick word from our sponsors. 
I'm Dave from Applications Incorporated, where applications are released only when they are perfect and have no bugs. Today, we got a really good application to tell you about. It's called the Bubble Wrap App App. We use state-of-the-art technology to simulate what it's like to pop bubble wrap on your phone. And every time you pop one million bubbles, a drone is sent to your location with an appetizer that is covered in, you guessed it, bubble wrap. It's genius. And you can expect this application to be available when it's perfect, which means it will never be released. Applications Incorporated, they're still paying us for some reason. Every episode, we like to research and highlight something special in the community that we're exploring. Today's community shout-out is Charity Water. Charity Water is actually a nonprofit organization based out of New York City. You may have heard of them or even have donated before. I've known and loved Charity Water for about a decade. The founder, Scott Harrison, has a really inspiring story, and they do great work all over the world, so I'd highly recommend looking them up. Nearly one in ten people in the world do not have clean water. Charity Water works with these communities to find long-term and efficient solutions for bringing clean water to them. Some areas that Charity Water works do not have access to water, so they need to do things like build wells. But as we learned about with Anchor, Cambodia has lots of water. The issue is that the water is not clean. Because of this specific challenge, Charity Water works with a local partner, Clear Cambodia, to educate rural communities about hygiene and help them build their own water filtration systems to clean the water they have access to. You can donate to Charity Water through their website. Something that I like a lot about donating to them is that your donation is always put towards water projects. They have outside donors to cover their administration costs, and they're also extremely transparent with their funds in general, so that's always great to see with a charity. They also have a charity ball every year because Scott Harrison used to be a club promoter, and so he knows how to throw a good party. Can you tell I'm a little obsessed? Yes, but for good reason. We will include a link to the Charity Water website in the show notes. All righty, I think that's the show. Thank you so much to our producer, Charles, and to our correspondent, Keenan, for helping create the Anchor Watt Who's On First bit. Thanks, thank you to Charles and Keenan, <laughs> and thank you so much to our listeners. We're so grateful that you take the time to listen to our show. Yes, thank you so much. Also, if you've been enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate it if you took the time to rate us and write a review. And also, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to send us an email at CozyNookExplorers at gmail.com. Yes, and also, we now have an Instagram. You can follow us at CozyNookExplorers. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. We'll be posting some photos and episode notes and everything at least a couple times a week, I think. And you could always reach out to us there as well. And, you know, I think that's it. We'll be back next Wednesday with our next episode. Yes. On Wednesdays, we explore. Stay cozy, and we'll see you soon.